May God add his blessing to the reading this morning. Good morning, everybody. This is part two of our series in the book of Colossians. Who was here last week? Give me a bit of, a, bit of an idea. Fantastic. Hey, we are um, uh, doing a, uh, a, a, a study guide as well. And so if you'd like to be a part of that, feel free to check it out with our welcome desk or online. It's all uh, there if you'd like to uh, go the extra mile in this series. But this is part two. Before we get stuck into it this morning, though, um, I'd like to uh, get a bit of an idea that if it ever you head on out for a meal of an evening during the day, whatever it might be, we generally get stuck into uh, either the entree, the main, or the dessert. Who is all three? When you generally go out, you like all three. There's a few hands. There's a few hands. I'm just getting a bit of an idea. Who are the people who just go for the first two, the entree and the main? You like the entree and the main? There's a few hands there. All right. All right. Who goes generally, keeps it for dessert, goes for the main and dessert? There we go. There's my dessert, people. Good job. Good job. Who just goes for the main? Who goes straight for dessert? <laughs> last week, I described this series that we're in, this is a series on Colossians, that last week was the entree. And uh, like the introduction, we needed an introduction. We need to, needed to discover that the foundation of, of, of why, where, and when this book was written. And uh, uh, today is the, is the main course, and uh, we're looking at this, uh, probably the most important part of uh, chapter one, if not the entire book. Uh, and the supremacy of Christ. And uh, next week, uh, for those dessert lovers, we're going to finish it off with uh, dessert next week. And so looking forward to, uh, to that. But just a recap, if we could, just a recap. Let's go back to last week, just as a reminder. I hope you've done your homework. I ask you, I ask you, have you done? <laughs> I've asked you the previous weeks to read all four chapters of the book. And uh, this last week was just six verses, uh, verse 15 to 20. Who's done their homework? Excellent. Good job. Good job, star for you guys. Hey, um, uh, the Apostle Paul, of course, was the writer of this book. Where was he? Where we find Paul a lot. He was in jail um, uh, in Rome. And uh, writing this, in fact, he wrote four of his epistles um, in, uh, in jail. Uh, that's a little bit of homework for you this week. Which four letters did he write in jail? He wrote this letter to the church in Colossae. Very good. After what? After the disturbing news that was brought to him, you might remember, by Epaphras. Epaphras, the founding pastor of this church in Colossae, of the false teaching about who? the person of Jesus Christ, that they started to question the deity and the humanity of Jesus Christ. Now, let's not forget, let's not forget here. This is a young church. This is a young church. They're figuring this out, that they started to adapt and adopt these beliefs that was causing confusion in regards to the gospel, in regards to the church, in regards to the Christian life. You remember that? Yeah, and this teaching that was coming into the church was a mix of what? A couple of things. Well, probably two or three things. But mainly a mix of um, Greek mysticism and Jewish legalism. Not necessarily as a competitor to Jesus, but in fact, in addition to Jesus. They wanted more. Jesus wasn't enough. The church wanted more. And let's just press pause there for a moment. We all long for a, a, a better living, giving relationship with the Lord Jesus. We get that. But this was diluted theology. 
They're obsessed with two things. Do you remember what they were? They're obsessed with secrets and also shortcuts. Very good. Secrets and shortcuts. Uh, in regards to spirituality, in how we walk with the Lord, maybe we'll, we'll get something, we'll get something that no one else has. And we're going to look better, we're going to look better, we're going to look bigger and brighter. And so Paul's response to the church in Colossae was this. It's the book of Colossians, four chapters. And let's remember back to the introduction last week after, you know, uh, this polite introduction. I love this, how Paul approaches this, this polite introduction. He says that grace and peace to you, he says, my faithful brothers and sisters, I thank God for your faith and for your love and that you have a, a hope for the future. I'm thankful that you're bearing fruit. Do you remember this, some of the introduction? you remember that? And how he goes and prays for them. This is all in the introduction. That you would receive knowledge, the knowledge of God's will and the wisdom of the Spirit. And a little bit cheeky there, a little bit cheeky, because he's taking the words of the Gnostics. Remember the Gnostics? Uh, Gnosticism. Gnosis in the Greek means knowledge. And so um, after this, poli this polite introduction, it's as if he kind of shifts from this intro to the heart of the matter, as if he's addressing these false teachers head on. And so that's the personal section you might remember that we referred to last week. Now we're going to move into the doctrinal section, which is the verses that I, uh, I asked you to read this last couple of weeks, and that's okay. We'll read it again today, verses 15 to 20. As I said, probably the most important part of this book. And so entitled, by the way, The Supremacy of Christ, that's the series name Colossians, the supremacy of Christ. Let's read this together. Let's take in each and every word. In fact, let me just pray before we read and open the word. Father, I pray you would bless this teaching of your word. I pray that each of us, both here in the room and in the room at home, that we would each grow in grace, that we would each grow in love and each in understanding and grow to know you more deeply and personally, but also apply that which you would have to say to us each in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 15 to 20. The Son, S-O-N, Jesus, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things, how many things? All things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything, how much? Everything, thank you. He might have the supremacy, there it is. Everything that he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the, the cross. Now, Paul here is clearly giving an overly exalted position to Jesus. 
an overly exalted um, position, description. And so let's take a look. Let's take a look at these verses. Let's break this apart a bit uh, and, and help answer the question. And I've got five, there's five points here. There's probably more um, of why Jesus is supreme. Why Jesus is supreme. First one is this. Well, it's in verse 15. Let, let's allow the scripture to teach us this morning. In verse 15, for Jesus is the image of the invisible God. Press pause, or let's just stop there just for a moment. Jesus, the Son, is the image of the invisible God. Let's just address the elephant in the room here. Invisible God. It's in fact consistent with the teaching of Scripture that we serve an invisible God. Up to that point, God was invisible. Yes, he did stamp himself on all of creation. What an incredible God we have. But let's go to the Scripture to allow Scripture to answer that for us. The invisible God. Here we go. John chapter 4, 24. What does it say? God is what? Is spirit. God is spirit. Let's go to the next one. Here we go. Yep. 1 Timothy 1 says, Now to the King eternal, immortal. Say this word with me. Invisible, the only God. Let's please go to the next one. 1 John 4, 12. It says it quite bluntly here. When it says, No one has ever seen God. God's essential nature has in fact never been seen. And what we're finding here is Paul addresses the church here. In fact, Paul is in fact affirming the opening line. It's as, it's, as, it's as if Paul is saying, ladies and gentlemen, I present to you the only one who makes visible he who is invisible. And so, in other words, Jesus, Jesus is the God that we see. Let's go back to John, one of the Gospels. He says this in chapter 1, verse 18. No one has ever seen God, but, but, <laughs> the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father has made him known. Once again, every text has context. And what helps us really bring this text apart is the original Greek language. And the original Greek word for the word image is this word, icon. It's the word icon. Translated meaning copy, uh, likeness, and representation. This helps us understand that Jesus is God's perfect image to mankind. Hebrews 1 verse 3 tells us, love how the writer puts this, that the sun is the radiance. The sun is the, the radiance, S-O-N, is the radiance of God's glory. And what does it say? Help me, help me. And the what? The exact representation, there it is, of his being sustaining all things. By his powerful word. Help me out for a moment. Once upon a time, before the digital, before our smart devices, help me out here. How many remember this? 
It's, a, it's an old-fashioned, what? It's an old-fashioned camera. Now, I realize they're still around. I realize they're still around, but these days we have these and they're all filled with that. But let's go back a few years if that's okay. Is that okay? Good, let's go back a few years because these cameras, please, can we put that back up? Is that okay? Um, these cameras had film. Here we go. These cameras had film. And these cameras would, in fact, uh, capture images on film. And help me out, my generation and above, that they, they used, we used to have to develop these images, yes, and they had to be processed. By the way, where did you used to take yours to be processed? A chemist, yeah, absolutely. Oh, Stellards, yeah. Uh, Kmart, yeah, get the idea. Look, kids, fossils. And uh, I'm one of them, I'm one of them. By the way, can I just ask, who used to have slideshows? I remember as a young child, you did really, there you go. Oh, good. Okay, I remember, do you remember the sound? Do you remember the sound of the machine and the dust kind of particles? And we just used to gather around. I was a little boy at the time. Uh, you'll, have to, you'll have to Google this, young people. YouTube it, just YouTube it, slideshow. Ah, slideshow, there was no music. You kind of had to press play on your cassette player. Anyway, slideshows, back to it, back to it. So, um, capture images on film, didn't we? Yes, and we had to process them at Salads, it came out, a local chemist. And so, these invisible images would become visible. Now, you'd have to wait how long? How long? A week? I had to wait two or three weeks, really? Wow, I have to go where you... No, I didn't forget that. (laughs) So Jesus Christ, get this, Jesus Christ is the developed picture of God the Father. In other words, he is the perfect picture and personality of God. And so, what's God like? Have you ever wondered what God's like? Well, look at Jesus. That's the answer. How do I know if Jesus, how do I know if, if if God's, you know, is loving? Look at Jesus. Look at how, look how Jesus deals with the woman caught in adultery. He's about to be stoned to death. Look how he deals with that because you're seeing God wanting to forgive people. You are seeing God communicate perfectly, perfectly in his son. By the way, by the way, he is the image of the invisible God, not an an image of of the invisible God. For example, for example, let's go there for a moment. Guys in the room, guys in the room, help me out. Have you ever been told, have you ever been told that you look like your own father? Have you ever noticed when looking in the mirror, you kind of see a little bit of your own dad in yourself? But is that the kind of likeness that this is in fact referring to, talking about? Hmm. 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 You might remember the story, I love this story, um, in the upper room, um, of Philip. They're about to graduate. They're about to graduate. And Philip says this to Jesus in uh, John chapter 14, says this, "Uh, Lord, show us the Father, and it's enough for us. And gracious Jesus, I, I don't know how he would have said this, but you could possibly imagine. They're about to graduate, right? Check this out. Jesus said to him, I won't probably say it in the tone of what Jesus, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. 
How can you say, show us the Father? Hmm. In other words, Philip, what you're, what you're asking for, what you're asking for, you're actually looking at. You're actually looking at. Jesus is clear, isn't he? Jesus is very clear, isn't he? When he says, when you've seen me, when you've seen me, you have seen my Father. Here's why. We have, he is the image of what? The invisible God. Part one. Let's go to the next part. The, uh, it goes on. He says, Paul calls him in verse 15, part, uh, part two, he says, he's the firstborn of all creation. The firstborn, Jesus is the firstborn of all creation. Hands up, all the firstborns in the room, and keep your hands up nice and high. Hands, okay, hands down. Hands up all the favorites. I mean the babies. Come on, I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm the baby of four. I got a twin sister. I kicked her out nine minutes on my own. And... Uh, I'm with you, those who are the babies of the family. The firstborn and the babies. Well, the term, this term firstborn does not mean first in order. In fact, that would be, if you look back in creation, that would be Cain. Very good, Cain. But this doesn't mean that. Firstborn doesn't, once again, this is where the Greek, the original Greek language helps us understand. Let's dive in. The original Greek is the word Prototokos. Oh, I'm glad I got that right. I've been practicing that all week. Prototokos, which means first in rank or importance. That's what firstborn means. First in rank or importance. There's an example. You go way back, Genesis, Exodus. Exodus chapter 4, verse 22 says this. Oh, there is it. Here we go. And say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says, Israel, Israel is my firstborn. What God's saying there is that, um, uh, that you are the most important people group of all the people groups in the world. And so I'm bringing you, my firstborn, into this land and I'm giving you priority as to my plans for the future. So God is giving them, giving the people of Israel, the most important people group, the highest rank of all the peoples that he would ever make a covenant with. Hmm. And all that to say, all that to say that Jesus is not some second-rate anything. No, no, no. Paul's saying that he is number one, not one among many. He is the firstborn of all Creation. Let's read on verse 16. For in him all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. This is Paul's simple way of saying that not only is the image, he is the image of the invisible God, not only is the, the firstborn, but he is, wait for it, he is the creator. He is the creator of all that exists. And it originated in him, from him. Paul claims that, in fact, if you check, you check the label of everything that's been created. 
imprinted on the back of it will say, made by Jesus. Made by Jesus. For in him all things were created. All things have been created through him and for him. For his purpose, for his pleasure, and for his praise, as we were doing this morning through song. And that's the goal of the created world, for his purpose, his pleasure, and his praise. Paul writes to the church in Philippi, he says this, chapter 2, he says, Therefore God exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen and amen. Supreme. The supremacy of Christ. Supreme over all creation where it's got its beginning. uh, That he created the world and he sustains the world. We're told in Hebrews chapter 1 that in the past God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days he has spoken to us by his son whom he appointed heir of how many things? All things and through whom he uh, and sorry, through whom also he made the universe. Hmm. Come on, humans. Come on, humankind. Come on, humanity. Let's just think about this for a moment. Let's just humble ourselves just for a moment, if we could, because as humans, we think we're pretty big sometimes, don't we? We think we're pretty important sometimes, don't we? We think sometimes it's all about me, us. Here's, here's my encouragement to us this morning. When you get a little bit, little bit like that, when you get a little self-absorbed, at night, at night, walk outside and look up and just be amazed at how great and how big our God is. He brings just a little bit of perspective, doesn't it not? Who here in the room has had the privilege of traveling to a place like Canada? Any Canadians in the room, by the way? There it is. There it is. Uh, we love Canada, don't we? We love Canada. You love Canadians. Uh, anyone have been to New Zealand? Choice, sweet Esbra. Yeah, it's New Zealand. South Island, you know, Milford Sound, you know what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about? Anyone been to the Grand Canyon? You get the idea, right? You get the idea, this stunning, breathtaking views that we feel so small and we're engulfed by all that is around us when we stand in some of these places. Don't get me wrong, who's been to Tasmania? (laughs) There it is, there it is. You have to come to Tassie for those who are participating online who are living elsewhere. Anyway, you get the idea. So you get the idea. It brings perspective. Can we just go a step further? The sun, S-U-N. Can we go there for a moment? The sun. Can we bring up this picture? You can hardly see earth, but that's the sun. You can hardly see earth, right? The sun is 109 times the diameter of the earth. I don't know how you do this. But if you hollowed out the sun... If you hollowed it out, it could hold 1.39 million Earths inside of it. Does that give you perspective or what? 
For in him all things were created, all things have been created through him and for him. Let's move on. Verse 17. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. I don't know about you. I'm I'm happy with that. All things hold together. Before all things. Let's go there for a moment. Now that's another way of saying that Jesus is eternally existent. He's always been. Always been. He is before all that has ever been. This is where it starts to get you. Whoa, whoa, you know, the minds just start. John, anyway, let's go to John. John 1 1, 1 to 2 says that in the beginning, can we go there? Is that okay? In the beginning... A well-known passage um, was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. The Word, what's that about? You go to verse 14, you'll see that the Word became flesh. Very good. The Word, Jesus. You think about it. You think about this, speaking of mind-boggling kind of stuff. Jesus is the only person who ever lived before he was born. <laughs> Another little passage, could I go there for a moment? I love, I love the passage of, of the Jews debating Jesus in John 8, and they take offense. They take offense at what Jesus says, and they're talking about, uh, he's talking about Father Abraham as if Jesus uh, knew, knows Father Abraham intimately, and it says this in John 8 57. It says this, can I bring that up? Because it says this. Um, uh, so they're addressing Jesus. You are not yet 50 years old, they said to him. And you've seen Abraham? Very, tru- very truly, I tell you, Jesus answered, before Abraham was, before Abraham was, before Abraham was what? Was born. I love this. This is the drop the microphone moment in front of these guys. Boom. I am, I am, take that, what Jesus is saying. Say. And sorry, that goes on, doesn't it? Look, look at this, because they're about to stone him, they're about to kill him, because anyone who claimed that, by the way, that would they'd be killed. And he says, at this, they picked up stones to stone him, but Jesus hid himself, slipping away. What, what does that look like to you? Slipping away from the temple grounds. Somehow he just got out of there. Woo! They're just looking at each, anyway. So uh, <laughs> where was I? I've gotten off track. Okay. Um, So, he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. It's an incredible state. Not only is the creator of the world, he sustains the universe. Yes, he made it, but he sustains it. Why do you think that the earth is close enough to the sun that we don't freeze or burn to death? Why do you think that the sun keeps rising in the east and sets in the west? Why do you think winter, spring, summer, and autumn just keep coming and keep going, keep coming and keep going? The answer is this, that Jesus is holding all things together. And if he does this with the galaxies, listen, listen. If he does this with the galaxies, don't you think he can hold you together? (laughs) No, hold hold yourself together. Better yet, better yet, let him Let him hold your life together. Why? For he is before all things, and in him all things hold 
together. So not only is he the firstborn, not only is he before all things, and not only does he hold it all together. Verse 18, as the team please come, and he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn. There's that word again, from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy, all in favor of Jesus being the head of the church. Amen. Amen. So just quickly, before we stand and sing our final song just in a moment. This is a common picture that Paul uses and he uses quite often that when he talks about Jesus in relationship to this thing called the church, he speaks of it as if he would speak of a human body. A human body. Think about it. And just like the human body, the head controls pretty much everything. Think about it. Breathing, moving, feeling, and our eating. Pretty much every part is controlled by the head. By the way, anything without a head is dead. Think about it. Well, you don't really need to think about it. But any, anything with more than one head is... Who said Tasmanian? Who said that? Uh, I was going to say monster, by the way. <laughs> but let's bring this into land because Paul is saying that Jesus alone is the one true head of the church, that he has first place, He has full authority and he has the final say. So that, so that in everything, he might have the supremacy. And with all respect, with all respect that's happening on the other side of the world at the moment, with all respect. He has the final authority. He has the supremacy. And he is the one that one day every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. Every knee will visit. And every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Here's the icing on the cake. Here's the icing on the cake. Verse 90 to 20 finishes like this says, For God was pleased. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him. Here's Paul speaking to the Gnostics. God was good, but the material world, including Jesus, well, not, uh, Jesus was just an exalted angel, according to the Gnostics. But God was pleased, Paul is saying to the church, and through him to dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself, how many things? What's going to happen? Did you see that clip before? That reversal, he's going to reconcile all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. You see, the fullness of God was and is permanently dwelling in the person of Jesus Christ. So the question is, the question is, if all the fullness is in him, all you need is him. All you need is Jesus. You don't need to go off on a tangent like this church was going off on. You don't need that deluded theology that comes your way through these phones. 
You don't need that. Paul's message was to the church is that everything to have the supremacy so that in everything he might have the supremacy. Doesn't it make sense though? Think about it. That if he is the firstborn, as Paul said, if he is the creator, as Paul said, if he is the image of the invisible God, and if he's, he's, he's the head of the church, doesn't it make sense that Jesus would take first place and be the head of our lives? The first place in our families, the first place in our singleness, the first place in our marriages, the first place in our friendships, first place in time management, the first place in our work, the first place in our school, the first place in our dreams, the first place in our desires, our recreation and fun, the first place by what we watch on TV, the first place by what we look at on these phones, the first place in the music in which we listen to and the first place where no one's looking. Does that make sense? Doesn't make sense. Here's why. It has to make sense. It's so that in everything he might have the supremacy to God be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.